This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. We've talked about CO2 and its role in global warming, but we don't want to overlook the impact of other greenhouse gases on the planet either. On today's episode, we're going to take a look specifically at methane. Oh, and by the way, if you hear me say methane, that's just my British English kicking in. While we know that a major source of methane comes from livestock farming, it's not all because of cows. Since 2007, global methane emissions have accelerated, and much of that can be attributed to landfills and oil and gas activities too. To put it plainly, before the Industrial Revolution, methane levels rested at 700 parts per billion. Now, they're at 1900. I'm Talib Bizram, and you're listening to World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. This season, we'll be looking exclusively at climate change and what's being done to try and save the world. Okay, so human activities account for about 60% of global methane emissions. But on a positive note, there are removal strategies we can use to fix that. What is good with these ideas for methane removal from the atmosphere is that they use catalytic processes. So meaning that it's a kind of a chemical process rather than using energy to remove. That's Lena Hergland Isaacson. She's a senior research scholar at the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis in Austria. She explained that CO2 is more expensive and requires more energy to remove from the atmosphere. Compared to that, the problem of removing methane is a little bit more addressable, or at least it is right now. In the short term, definitely, yes. Because the technical potential that we have to reduce methane emissions is kind of limited to maybe 45% or so in the next few decades. And that might not be enough because then the damage has already happened and many of these damages cannot be reversed. So we really need to try continuously to stay below this 1.5 degrees. And for that, methane is one of our few options that we have to actually manage that. Methane is different from CO2 for a few reasons. In the first couple of decades after it's released, a molecule of methane has more than 80 times the warming power of a molecule of CO2. As we know from a few episodes back, CO2 has a tendency of sticking around in the atmosphere. But methane does eventually go away. It stays around for about 10 years and then it's destroyed through natural processes in the atmosphere. There are a few ways to remove methane, And one new method is adding extra iron to the air, which speeds up the process of methane breaking down. With that in mind, Hergland Isaacson says we could clean up about 30% of this by 2030. So we can actually do something about methane in the short term because it is relatively short-lived in the atmosphere. It's not a silver bullet, though. Hergland Isaacson explained that when we're talking about removing methane directly from the atmosphere after emitting it, We need more data. These might be natural processes, but since we're boosting them, they are risky. We need to know more about that technology first. 
but it is a very interesting idea. And so I think it's well worth to explore it because of the relative limitations that we see technically from reducing emissions in the first place. She's also realistic about the end result once the technology is up and running. We can reduce emissions, but we can never remove all methane emissions. It will be very hard because some of the methane emissions are also coming, for example, from food production systems. So to come to zero methane emissions is probably not going to happen. But what she believes could happen is agreeing on international policy systems, which will, of course, require political will from different parties, governments and countries. So if a country has actually done a lot, it should be possible to benefit somehow from that in the system so that we create some kind of incentives for those who actually want to do something. And for that, we will need to have some kind of new agreements in the world about how to incentivize both countries. And countries can then incentivize both the private and the public sectors in their country. But it's very important to get these kind of processes in place now so that we can actually start using the technology that we already have. Overall, it does sound like dealing with methane emissions is similar to what we learned about CO2 emissions. Remember that moral hazard? Reducing the emissions in the first place is critical, and then we can figure out ways to remove it from the atmosphere. Now we're going to learn about a new way to harness methane that not only captures it, but also creates something entirely new. When we come back, I'll talk with someone whose health condition led him to connect one of the world's worst environmental catastrophes to a business idea that could solve one of the world's worst pollution problems, right after this quick break. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. My guest today is an entrepreneur who started out with one question in mind. Instead of letting carbon go into the air, why can't we use that carbon as a source of good? Mark Harema is the co-founder and CEO of New Light Technologies, a company that has developed a unique biotechnological process that creates a material by combining air with greenhouse gases. This thermoplastic polymer replaces a range of oil-based materials that are usually made of plastics, things we might see in furniture, electronics, and packaging. And this all came about because he started reading an article about cow burps. Yes, you don't need to rewind that. You heard that right. Cow burps. Bovine belches. Trusty old daisy bringing up wind. When I saw this article, I started reading it, and it, it had this very interesting data point, which was it said that dairy cows burp about 600 liters of methane per day. Wow! And I had always been very interested in in market driven, consumer driven solutions to ESG type problems. My senior thesis was on asking the question: Is there a market driven pathway to reducing world hunger? And so when I read this article and looked at that 600 liters per cow. Methane is is something that people pay for. So what's the market value of that? And 
with some quick napkin math, it turned out that each cow was burping about $20 worth of value into the air every year. So if you have a thousand cow farm, that's $20,000 of value into the air. That's a lot of money. Haremo remembered reading about the BP oil spill in 2010 and seeing the same question posed in several articles, which was, if there was so much methane that plumed out, why didn't all of it reach the ocean surface? What they discovered was that there were microorganisms in the ocean water that were eating that methane as their food. Turns out also that those, some of those microorganisms, when they do that, they build this molecule inside of their cells. And the, the technical name is, is PHB. Most living things make PHB. So you and I are, are making PHB as we speak. Um, if you look outside, every plant that you see is probably making PHB as well. So these methane microorganisms make this molecule. And it turns out that when you extract this, you can purify it and turn it into a, a white powder. Okay, well, why does that matter? Well, it also turns out that this stuff is meltable. And so you can melt it and turn it into forms and parts and pieces. So now all of a sudden, you, by virtue of being meltable, you have something that can serve as a replacement for plastic, except because it's made in every ecosystem on earth, it's a environmentally degradable material, similar to a banana peel or, or a tree leaf. And in just the same way that it happens in nature, it's a net carbon negative process. Uh, if you use renewable power and sustainably source greenhouse gas, you have this, this really cool platform now, right? Where you can take methane that would otherwise go into the air, turn it into a replacement for plastic that also has a net negative profile. That was the starting vision. Figuring out how to make that real was a long journey. Yeah, I bet. Well, I kind of wish that my uh, that my burps were that valuable. I feel like I have a side gig going on. <laughs> you know, they, they, they might be more valuable than you realize. <laughs> <laughs> the next step for Harema was calling up a friend and looking into how they could turn methane into useful things. Then they spent 10 years of research and development to produce their trademark product called Air Carbon. And how are we getting from the carbon to the finished material? I know that this has been, this was a, like a 10 year process for you to develop and, and I'm asking you to kind of fit it into a minute or so, but. <laughs> well, let me, let me try to, as, as succinctly as possible, microorganisms eat the methane, use it as food to grow. And as they do that, they build this molecule, air carbon inside of their cells, kind of like muscle. We extract that, purify that, and now we have a meltable material that we can use to, to replace plastic. A little bit more extensively, basically the, the, the process starts with this, our main, we call it a polymerization reactor, but basically what that is, is just a big tank, stainless steel tank. It's about 10 feet wide, about 50 feet tall. Mm -hmm. And we fill that with, with a salt water solution. To that, we add in these naturally occurring microorganisms that are found in the environment. And so now they're floating in this salt water solution. So to that, we start feeding them air, and methane, those bubble up through that salt water. And as that happens, the microorganisms are eating those gases as their food source. So air carbon by weight is about 40% oxygen from air and about 60% carbon and hydrogen from, from the methane. So they're they're growing, they're having a party, they're, they're, they're getting more and more of themselves. And then they're also starting to build up this air carbon kind of like muscle inside of their cells. So once they're done, we then extract that, that air carbon and we put it through a dryer, comes out as a fine white powder. 
And then as a powder, we then put it into what's called an extruder, where we basically melt it, comes out as these long spaghetti strands, we cool those and then chop those into pellets. And then once we've got the pellets, that's basically the currency of the old plastics industry. So we can run those in all existing equipment to make forks, straws, sheet, whatever it is. At that point, we've got a, you know, a direct replacement for plastic. And while the concept may have started out with methane, Haremo wanted to expand into carbon dioxide capture too. Air carbon essentially is a is a replacement for plastic, and and but it uses captured carbon as a as a raw material. Where are you capturing that carbon from? Just kind of just cows, or or are there other sources? Well, unfortunately, no cows at all. Um, it was the the starting point for for the concept, and so uh, obviously, collecting methane from from cows is not the easiest endeavor. So, <laughs> although we do, we we did look at how it might be possible, we looked at you know tunnel ventilation in barns and and some other things. Huh. Ultimately, we said, okay, where where are the the big flows of methane going into the air? And as you look at that, you know, one place where you have a lot of methane generation is landfills. A lot of that is being turned into power. A lot of it's being going to pipeline, but a lot of it's still just being flared. I think it's like something like 30 to 40% of, of methane flows uh, coming from landfills are still being flared. So all that carbon is just flowing into the air today. If you've ever seen that picture of the United States at night, you have all the, you know, the, the power grids from the various cities. Then you have these massive, they look like cities, but they're just, that's just methane being flared. Wow. There are other places like uh, coal mines the coal mines have a huge amount of methane that they that they put into the air. So we've worked with, uh, frankly, all those places, anaerobic digesters, food waste digesters. Right now, landfills, digesters, and, and coal mines are kind of our preferred sourcing. And so what we do is we work with companies that come in and capture those emissions, um, and we'll either use those directly, or we'll put them into the pipeline and then buy them off the pipeline, similar to buying renewable power off the pipeline. We also, over time, eventually figured out how to do carbon dioxide as well. And there, our primary sourcing was uh, CO2 being emitted from an ethanol plant. So our, our vision long-term is anywhere that carbon's going into the air, we want to capture that. And, and instead of having it float around the air, turn it into a useful product. And eventually things like direct air capture are, are interesting to us too. But we're starting with methane because it's the most, you know, it's 23 times more potent as a greenhouse gas compared to CO2. Harema and his team spent years figuring out the science behind this technology, but they also wanted to work on scaling the product up. Making it functional was critical, especially considering how the plastics industry is only continuing to grow. Plastic production is projected to double within 20 years, which is staggering when you learn that less than 10% of all the plastic ever made has been recycled. Using air carbon, Harema wanted to shift that model to something more sustainable. When you say that if a product like a straw ends up in the environment, it'll just go away, what, what, what does that mean? It, you know, how, how long would it take to go away you know, compared to regular plastic? Well, we don't know how long regular plastic takes to go away because it doesn't go away. So we don't know how far yeah. in the future. I mean, as you know, it's, we don't know. Is it hundreds of years? Is it, is it never? Uh, is it just progression into microplastics? We, we don't know. So super long on normal plastic. But um, in order for us to make environmental degradation claims, there's a lot of laws around this now. In, in the case of industrial compostable, it goes into an industrial compost, which is a hot condition. Uh, and it has to go away over 90% in about six months. For home compostability, which is much harder, 
there's a third-party test that you have to go through. It, it basically also shows that in a lower temperature condition, like your backyard might be, that that will also go away. On the ocean side, we've done testing. Um, there's a test called ASTM 66917081. I know that's <laughs> means nothing, but all, all that means is... <laughs> that's my phone number. Yeah, I was, I was literally <laughs> just finding a way to get that phone number out there. So one of our visions is, imagine if you went into a restaurant and everything you used was either food or something that broke down like food, as a natural material does. And so everything could go into an anaerobic digester. Everything would be degraded back into a useful biogas material and then theoretically used to make either power or, in our case, air carbon. So it, it all sounds very natural and, and circular. I feel like there's a circle of life thing going on here. Yeah, we, we I listen to a lot of Lion King um, <laughs> part of my life. When I when I'm at the the, the gym, uh, trying to look tough, but but actually I'm I'm hitting hitting circle of life. Yeah, that's a good entry song, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> you, you mentioned straws. What other kinds of products then um, is air carbon used in? As much as people hate a you know your your favorite paper straw, we all also love you know that 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 wooden fork where you're hoping not to get splinters and it's just it's <laughs> yeah. equally enjoyable. So so we've launched air carbon cutlery as well. And now we're getting ready to launch a whole bunch of other products that are in the, the foodware space. So we're really looking to tackle that, try to help fix that. We rolled out with, with Shake Shack last year. They've been a great partner. Um, we rolled out with Target last year as well. And so we're going to be announcing you know, a number of additional partners and try to get to that circular vision that, that you mentioned earlier that makes it easy for people to participate in and really change the dynamic. I mean, we realized that there's a cool way to interact with carbon capture that people haven't had the ability to do before. We talk about carbon capture and climate change, but it always seems so abstract, right? Mm -hmm. But imagine now you have the ability to hold in your hand something that reduces the amount of carbon in the air, and you can now participate in a really personal way with helping to address climate change. And so that's a big reason why we launched our lifestyle line with wallets and bags, eyewear, well, uh, excited to hear about you know your progress and, and the other kind of partnerships you roll out. And in the meantime, it's an excuse for me to go to Shake Shack <laughs> as if I need one. I've been exploiting uh, that excuse as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. This was awesome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. By participating in this new sustainable process, we might be able to understand our direct impact on the climate a little bit better. When you dispose of an air carbon product, it'll go on to decompose like a banana peel or a tree leaf, instead of winding up in one of the many landfills that continue to emit methane emissions. From the atmosphere to your Shake Shack straw and then back into the soil. The circularity of it really does bring to mind that epic opening scene in The Lion King. That's all for our show today. If you're a new listener, be sure to subscribe to World Changing Ideas wherever you find your podcasts. If you like this episode, leave us a rating and review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Today's episode was produced by Avery Miles. Fast Company podcasts are produced by Franz Bowen, Avery Miles, and Blake Odom. Editing and sound design by Nicholas Torres. 
Executive producer is Joshua Christensen. Editorial oversight from deputy editor Kate Davis and senior VP of entertainment Scott Meadows. Yeah.